Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm also an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, an author of a book, A Forever Family. But most importantly, I am the father of four amazing children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right here where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a social media consultant, a radio host, a podcast producer, and a mother of two children. See, our country's foster care system is shattered, and this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Rob Shear and my amazing friend Dana and McKay is here, and we are here with Fostering Change. We are so excited to bring this podcast to us today, Dana. Yes, we have Brittany, and Brittany actually used to live um, in Maryland in the D.C. area. She has been a volunteer here at Comfort Cases, and she was also a CASA and uh, and she reached out to us because she listens to the podcast. Now she has moved back to her home state of Alabama, where she is a foster mom for mostly for teenage girls. She likes working with the teen girls and helping that population. So, Brittany, welcome to Fostering Change. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. I love the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I actually love doing the podcast as well. I actually really look forward to talking to some amazing people. Um, and, and you know, it's crazy. I've, you know, been in this, this arena for many, many years and I learned so much. And, you know, first of all, Brittany, I want to say thank you. I want to thank you for doing what I say all the time. Um, you know, I wear that shirt that says be a good human. You know, that's what it's all about. And you're truly doing that. You're leading by example. You know, I, I think that each one of us have a connection when it comes to why we do what we do. Yesterday, um, I had a young woman come up to me and she said, um, she says, I was, I was meant to come and hear you speak because I've been weighing in my heart about being a foster parent. And she, um, and she said, and for some reason I kept thinking, oh, I, I, you know, I'm a single mom and I can't do this. And, and, you know, I'm a single, when she was single, she's now, she's going to be a single mom. She's like, I'm single and I can't do this. Um, I don't have enough money. I can't do this. Um, my career, you know, I've got to think about my career. I can't do this. And then she's like, I come and hear you speak. And she's like, okay, I'm flying back to Denver and I'm filling out all the paperwork and I'm going to do this. So I would like for you to tell me about your journey and what was your connection for you to become a foster parent? Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely not a, a an easy journey and definitely not a journey that I had planned um, since forever. It wasn't, it wasn't my goal until I was uh, in my early 20s and was looking for ways to get involved and ended up becoming kind of a mentor to this girls group, this teenage girls group, and ended up having some girls who were in foster care be in that group. And I really connected with these girls and realized how much being invested in them meant to them and how much it meant to me. And so it kind of started me on this journey to see how can I be more involved in foster care. And then I moved to D.C. and my career, you know, started taking off and I started um, working a lot more. And I was living in a studio apartment in D.C. because it's expensive to live there. And I was like, there's no way I could be a foster parent at this point. So I literally Googled the words, how to help kids in foster care without being a foster parent. And I came across court-appointed special advocates, um, which is also called CASAs. And in Maryland, they are a volunteer organization 
that is assigned to an individual child, and you really advocate for that child. CASA started with this judge who was presiding over these cases in foster care, and he had one side, which was the department or the state, and one side, which was the biological family, and he had the lawyers for the children in foster care who really advocate for what the child wants. But he didn't have a, a neutral party, someone to just look across this and bring the facts in and say, okay, what is best for this child? And so that's kind of how CASAS got started. And that's a lot of the role that they play now. Um, you really get to know the child. You spend quality time with them, um, preferably like each week. And then you also interview everyone involved in that child's life from the social workers, to the biological family, to doctors, to therapists, to school counselors, to teachers, to coaches. You really immerse yourself in this child's life, all the while building a relationship with this child and spending time with them. And then you have the opportunity in Maryland, it's twice a year, you go before a judge with a report that basically states the facts of the case um, and then also offers recommendations. And the nice part about being a CASA is Sometimes there are big things like recommending that this child remain in care, but, you know, the case remain reunification to small things like advocating that the department provide transportation so your child can do an after-school activity. Um, one of the biggest little things that I advocated for, I, I actually was assigned a 13-year-old, which was absolutely terrifying because I totally expected to be assigned maybe a toddler. It would be so fun. Go and play with them once a week. And then I got this teenager and I'm like, what are teenage girls into? I have no idea. I haven't been a teenager in a really long time. Um, FYI, it's a lot of crafts and um, movies and snacks. <laughs> we and both have teenagers. I was going to say, I was going to say, we, we, you know, I, I have a 19-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and an 11-year-old, so I totally get it. Yeah, absolutely. And so it, it really became this, this building a relationship with her. Um, and she had just come into care, and so for the first six months of our relationship, it was a lot of one-word answers. It was a lot of um, not really connecting, not really doing anything. But I was like, you know what? I'm I'm assigned to this child. I'm committed to this child. And so we just continued to hang out every single week. And then something just started to change. She started to get in the car and start telling me stories about her day. She started sharing more about her life. She started having an opinion on what activities we should do and what would be fun to do with me. And it just kind of changed. And that relationship continued for three years. Um, I was there for school performances. I was there for middle school graduation. I was there when she started high school and when she tried out for cheerleading. And it just became this relationship. And I think that's the beautiful thing about CASA is you are really assigned to one child to build a relationship with. And you advocate for that one child. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. And it's something that this, these kids just don't have that one person. Because a lot of things change um, when you're in foster care. Your social worker may change. Your foster home may change. Your therapist may change. There's lots of change happening. And the goal of CASA is to be that one person that's like, listen, I'm going to be here every week and we're going to go hang out and we're going to go, you know, see a movie together and, and I'm going to invest in your life and I'm going to be there for you through all this navigation of the system and the things that happen to you. 
a lot of times in foster care. And I think that being in Costa was just one of the best experiences of my life. And there's no way that I would be a foster parent teen girl had I not been assigned a 13-year-old girl um, as a Costa. It just totally transformed my view on what is really needed in foster care and the impact that one person can have on one life. Wow. I got, oh my gosh, I got so many questions. <laughs> I know. Well, this um, is awesome because I've heard about CASA and we send comfort cases to CASAs and stuff, but, and I've read about it, but I've never actually really completely understood what the process is like and what an impact CASAs have. And so that explanation sums it up perfectly and it's huge. It's a huge responsibility and it's a, makes a huge difference. So, so, so I, Dana, I agree with you that, I mean, I've heard people explain CASA, and I have never, ever, ever heard anybody explain it the way you did, Brittany, and it was spot on. It it truly, if I was listening to this podcast and I was like wondering to myself, how can I help because I can't be a foster parent, but I want to do something, I would be immediately looking up CASA. And um, because, like I said, you just described it in a way I've never heard it described before. And um, but, oh, my gosh, do I have tons of questions? Number one, do you still have a relationship with the young girl? So the the beautiful and the heartbreaking thing about Casa is that eventually you want them um, to to no longer need you, whether that be they're reunified with their biological family or. Um, they are adopted or whatever it is. Um, the, the goal is that you, they don't need you any longer because they have that security somewhere else um, and that constant somewhere else. And that's the ultimate goal of CASA. And so that is a heartbreaking part of it. That being said, I had been in my child's life until she was 16 years old. And so at 16, they have phones and they um, have their own way of communicating. And so I, I do still keep in contact with her. As a matter of fact, she texted me um, at the beginning of the school year just to let me know that she had made varsity cheer captain and she knew how proud I'd be of her. And so it's little things like that. We still text each other about new Netflix movies um, and other things that we would recommend. You know, oh, you've got to watch this. You've got to see this. Um, So we do maintain contact, but it's not that constant contact. And that's because she's getting that from where she needs to get it now. So, you know what? I I can understand that. But, you know, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. I'm just going to be this guy because I have, you know, I'm I'm one of these people who I just say what it is and everybody doesn't have to agree with me and I'm okay with that. But I think that we do such a disservice to kids um, by ripping the Band-Aid off too quick. And I don't know if, again, this is the first time I've had somebody who's really opened up deep into CASA the way you are and I'm loving this. Um, And maybe it's a slow process, but what I've heard, and again, perception to me is, you know, we have to work on all that. But what I've heard, it's very similar to to being a foster parent when the child is reunified with that foster with their biological parents the foster parents are cut out of their life and i hear that casa is very similar to that and that i think is damaging to a child you know i think that i've always said that that in this system the foster parents and the biological parents, the CASA, the guardian of litems, the the social workers should all come and sit at the same table and say, okay, what are we going to do to best support this kid during their journey? And and I do believe that organically we separate, um, but you know, but I I I'm my question then because I'm rattling a little bit. My question is, did you? 
is it required by CASA that the day of reunification you no longer can reach out? Um, I think it it's difficult because I don't know. It, it also may vary state by state and area by area, honestly. Um, with the, the CASA group that I was in, it was advocated, especially if it's a younger child, that, you know, you, you can no longer reach out to them. Because, you know, to some extent, you know, if you're a biological family and you've been reunified, um, you kind of, in some ways, want to forget that part of their life. You want to kind of separate yourself from them being in foster care and kind of start your journey back together as a new family. And so, to some extent, I understand the CASA's point of view, but I also agree with you that it is hard to break yourself away, especially when you've invested three years into this child and you've seen them every single week. Yeah. How do you just cut off from them? Um, yeah, I agree. I, it is. I think it is a difficult conversation. Well, and for the child too, no matter what age the child is, to have another adult that they trusted, that they confided in, that cared about them, that they grew to love, ripped away from them. It's just another, you know, traumatizing experience. Another person that they could feel abandoned them, even though it's not their fault, and they're not, you know, it's not you saying I don't want to talk to you anymore. I, I can't see you anymore, but. I still feel like that's got that's another loss that the child is suffering. Yeah, I, 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 and again, I am telling everybody who's listening. I love Casa. I love Casa. Love Casa. Love Casa. And that we they're probably um, one of our largest recipients when it comes to our cases. We send them to Casas all over the country. Um, I feel that they are truly the bridge to help us with this shattered system. Um, but I would love to be able to sit down with some directors and talk about, you know, and again, I think it's done organically. I think a child who, you know, builds a bond with their biological family is going to build the bond with their biological family. And by the way, my kids have lots of aunts and uncles. And they so do mine. They have so many other yeah, adults in other their life. Adults. Yeah, other adults who, you know, I am just on a daily, on a day-to-day basis, I mean, um, kids need to know they matter and i feel like you know here i'm 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 thinking about this young girl who by the way was in the system for three years okay so we're not talking about you know you were in her life for six months or you were in her life for she was in the system for three years three years you were the support that you gave you gave her this constant love the tap of that i love you unconditionally i love you unconditionally which is something that each and every one of us want and then you know i love the fact that she's now 16 and you guys still keep in touch that you know but i think that if she was 13 that might not have happened and i'm i worry about the psychological damage that we're doing for children on that you know talk talk to me about so you're a foster parent right now correct I am correct. And say, and and you you actually um, you you because of this experience with Casa, you um, you actually do young teen girls. Yes. So wow. I technically do ages five to twenty one, but I will say I have had teen girls. That's what I get nonstop, and I get phone calls every single week for teen girls. And I will say I'm not a traditional foster parent um, in the terms of you know, long-term because I do travel for work. So I'm a licensed foster parent, but right now I'm doing emergency and respite care. Right. And so I'm taking them in when they're first in the system. But I will say the need for teen parents is enormous, enormous. And 
I get a phone call every single week for a girl, and it's honestly, can you just take her tonight? We, we just don't have anywhere to put her tonight. And, of course, I'm going to say yes every single time because I can't imagine not saying yes because of their age. And a lot of these girls, you know, man, they're phenomenal. They're just the greatest kids on earth. And I wish there was a way for me to call all the foster parents in the area and say, listen, you need to take this kid long term because she's incredible. She's amazing. And teen girls is such an area where there's a lot of hesitation because they're difficult. And you both have teens. And you know. And girl. (laughs) We both have a teen girl. And so we we totally know. (laughs) There's so much drama and so many emotions. (laughs) So many things, but there are also so many awesome moments and the the need for love and the need to be wanted is so obvious and prevalent in these girls to the point where I, I hear them asking for it and I hear them asking me questions like, I don't know why nobody wants me. I don't know why everybody's scared of me. I don't know why no one wants to take teams. And I, I agree with them. To, to an extent, because I do know that they're difficult. I know not everyone can do teen girls. But I also want to say, you know, especially that woman you were talking about who's single and worried about being a single mom. I mean, I'm single, and doing teen girls has been the best thing for me. I mean, there's so many wonderful things. Number one, you don't have to wipe anyone's nose or bottom. They're completely <laughs> old enough to handle that. Number two, they love sleep. So if you love sleep, they love sleep too. Number three, you don't have to pack any bags if you want to go somewhere. Literally just, hey, we're going to go out to eat or, hey, let's go to a movie or, hey, there's this festival. Let's go downtown and see what it's about. You don't have to pack any pinkies, don't pack any diapers, there's no <laughs> formula. You just tell them to put on their shoes and their coat and they go. Um, they also just bring so much fun to the house because they've got senses of humor and you can watch PG-13 movies. And there's so many great things about fostering teens and even some of them when they're really sick and tired of your cooking will offer to cook for you which is what one of my girls recently did (laughs) because she just couldn't handle my cooking anymore so she said can you just take me to the grocery store and let me buy some stuff let me make dinner tonight and I was like yes absolutely I love that that." I I absolutely (laughs) love first of all I have to tell you um I love you. <laughs> yeah, I, you have been so great. I know. So great. I, I mean, just amazing. Okay, so so lots of questions because I, I agree. I think that um, it is definitely a group of kids in the system that really get a bad, bad rap um, because, one, they got the word teen on them. And um, – and by the way, I mean, most people don't know this. I think I've mentioned it a couple times, and I'm going to actually do – Dana and I are going to do a podcast on it. But we've had a new son arrive. He arrived in the fall, and he's um, he's just turned 19, but he was 18 when he arrived. And my husband and I never thought we would have any more kids, but we've decided we – you know, this just happened organically. But, you know, it's made us realize that, you know, parenting is something we both love doing. Um even as stressful as it is, as you know, and you know, Dana, um, parenting we love doing. Um, and so we, we decided to continue this journey with the older kids. And so that's why we have now an eight to, well, he just turned 19. Um, and so, and in Maryland, you know, you're in the system till you're 21. 
So um, he's in the Ready 21 program, and we're excited about that. But but he's brought so much joy and laughter into the house, um, just that different dynamics. But what I would like to, to ask you is, Brittany, um, we're seeing an a increase in teen moms um, that are coming in the system. And I say this all the time. There's no such thing as a bad child. It's only a kid who needs to be redirected. And I feel that that teen moms who, um, young girls who are getting pregnant, you know, in the system, by the way, um, we have failed them. And the reason I say that is because they're looking for love. And these are not bad girls. They're just, they want to be loved. And so they, they you know, um, they feel that that's the way of love, of, of sleeping with a, a someone. And then, you know, then they get pregnant and they're feeling like this, you know, oh my gosh, this baby's going to love me unconditionally, which is a lot of hard work because I, I said to Reese, we're not doing the baby thing ever again. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's not happening. But would you ever consider being a foster parent, um, being an emergency foster parent to um, a young teen mom? Or have you? Absolutely. Um, I have not done a teen mom, but I will say, you know, you talk about that looking for love. And it is so very true because it's similar. You know, at what age do you grow out of needing care? The answer is never. And at what age do you grow out of needing love? And the answer is never. And that's what I've seen with a lot of my girls. I will say, because I'm a single woman, I get a lot of the girls that wouldn't normally be considered, you know, to be able to go into homes with men. Um, I've had girls who have been victims of sexual abuse, who've been victims of rape, who were survivors of trafficking. I've had a lot of teen girls that are looking for love, and they're looking for some kind of acceptance. And I know you've said it before, but that that wanting to be wanted um, is such a huge part of it. And it's the same thing with teen girls. And um, I think that, you know, when you talk about teen pregnancy, you talk about teen moms, it's also a conversation about breaking the cycle. Yes. And I think yes, if, if we invest, if we invest in the teen mom, and we invest in their skills and we make sure that we treat them as, you know, children that deserve to be loved, then that's what's going to pass on. And I feel, I fear that what happens too often is we keep putting these teen kids into group homes or in juvenile detention centers because we don't have enough beds in group homes. And we keep pushing them in these group settings where they don't learn what parenting looks like. They don't know what a family unit where you've got a parent and a child and there's unconditional love and support and meals together and outings and vacations and all those things that are part of a normal family dynamic. When we keep putting them into group homes, you talk about controversial things, group homes, which in, a, in my mind are a lot of modern day orphanages in some cases. Well, and I, I, think I agree we, with you hundred percent, hundred percent. I've said that. Settings. Yep. Yeah. And it, and it just, it ruins their ability to, to learn how to be parents themselves. We learn how to be parents from watching other people. And when we're not growing up in a, in a some sort of family unit, whether it be single, whether it be couples, whether it be extended family, where you don't get that unconditional love, where you don't get what it's supposed to look like, guess what? You're going to be taking care of their kids in the foster care system. It's just, the only way to break this cycle is by loving them through those teen years, through those early parenting years, through those years where they didn't have 
an example of what family is supposed to look like. And so when you talk about caring about teenage moms or just teens in general, you're raising future members of your society. You're raising not only the people who are going to work beside you, their kids are going to school with your kids. Like their grandchildren are going to go to school with your grandchildren. And if we don't cut this cycle, you're just going to continue to see the same thing. I agree. I agree hundred percent with you. And I love that you said that we've got to change the, the, you know, we got to cut the cycle. You know, I, I, I've said that to my children. I say it to myself. Um, I say it to my, my siblings that are remaining, um, you know, I, that it's, it's up to us to break the cycle, you know, just because of what our past was or what our, pa- our parents were, doesn't make what our future should be. And, and it's, it's a hard thing to do. You know, listen, I have to tell you, I could talk to you literally for <laughs> hours, for hours. I want you, you know, I think that there's so many things that you're making me think about, you know, uh, and, and Dana and I truly, we've always wanted this, this podcast to educate our, our public. And, and I, I, I would love to have you back. Um, and for us to really focus on, um, what it is to be an emergency foster parent and let what it is to be a respite foster parent because definitely yeah yeah because those two things right there um i i i think that you know i love the entire emergency thing and i understand why we have to have it um my my husband and i we never took we never used the respite we you know i it just as a young boy that that word just cringes my body um and so, you know, so I'm, I, we're going to have you back. We're going to do more of this, Brittany. <laughs> we are. Good. Listen, first of all, I, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being a good human. Thank you for showing the love to these young girls. Thank you for supporting that young girl for three years. Um, you know, that to me, you, like I said, you know, the world needs more people like you. Truly, they do need Definitely. more people like you. So we always finish our podcast um, by asking two questions. And so, Dana, it's up to you. So if you could change two things about the foster care system, what would they be? Um, so I've thought about this many times, and it's hard to narrow it down to two, which I know is, is not new. But I, I would say that um, increasing the awareness, the education, and the support um, so that more foster homes are willing to take teenagers is a huge part of it because I think that that is a, a huge gap in the system that we could do more to fix. And I would say the second part is honestly giving those kids more of a voice in their own lives. Um, I, I get a lot of kids who all the decisions are just made for them. Um, they don't get much of a say in where they go or what's happening to them. And I feel like if we listen to the kids a little bit more um, and we really listen to what they need and what kind of families that they're looking for, you know, to foster and and what kind of future that they want to have, I think it would totally transform the way that we do foster care. I know that there are lots of um, former foster kids who are doing amazing work in changing the system. And I think that that's our best chance is to really have the kids who are in it to really tell us what is needed. So we just we just need to listen. I agree. I agree. Great answers. Great, 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 great suggestions. Because, you know, one thing I love, Dana, is that every time we ask that question, um, 
It, the answers have been so different. Yeah, well, there are so many things that need to change. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we always get great answers, and those two were perfect. Yeah, and, and you know, they're spot on. They're spot on. I, I believe that, you know, you look at the retention rate of foster parents. You know, we, we're seeing this throughout the country as the fact that foster parents are lasting for only about a year. Right, and I don't, and it's not because of the kids. It's yeah. because of the lack of support that they get. Exactly, the right. lack of support. And I, I've, you know, we speak to foster parents. I speak to them all over the country, and nobody has ever said to me, I stopped doing it because they were nothing but these bunch of bad kids. They've all been because the system doesn't support us. Um, so I love that, love that, love that, love that. And I agree. There are amazing people who have aged out of the system who are doing amazing things throughout the country. We've had quite a few of them on our podcast. And I feel that that's how we're going to change the system is by bringing so many amazing people to the table and really talking about it. So listen, Brittany, you are absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. I'm so, so lucky to call you my friend. And um, we are going to be talking again. Soon. Definitely. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you, Brittany. Thanks, Brittany. Have a good day. Thank you, guys. Have Bye-bye. Take Bye. care. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.